Uh, hey, friends, welcome to the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast. We're here with a guy that I actually just like a lot. It's Levi Lesko. And uh, we'll dive into all of the stuff he's doing in just a minute. But Levi, first of all, I just want to say hi, man. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're healthy. Ray, it's good to see you too. Thanks for having me on. And I'm glad you like me because, you know, I was just telling someone, we have to love everybody as Christians, but it's nice when you have people you get to be around <laughs> that you actually like. Hey, so, so I got a quick question for you. I was actually wrote this question down as an extra question. So I'm going to start with it. And it's a weird question. Um, most Christian leaders underestimate how important being likable is. You know, I mean, there's just a lot of people that are not likable, they're not approachable, stuff like that. Everybody I know likes you. Like, Levi, when you're down for Thrive or speaking, our staff backstage, after the weekend, when we have a guest in, they have a jerk meter. Okay, and Sometimes if somebody's a real jerk, it goes off. The, the people, the opposite happens with you. So how important is being likable and how we treat people? Well, the... First of all, I'm really grateful that I dodged the bullet on your staff's jerk meter, but you do have a very cool staff. <laughs> um, I think it's a really important thing. You know, uh, we tend to focus on the things like preaching and my worship leading and my, you know, my, my leadership ability of delegation or empowerment or whatever else, but we forget about those little simple things, the people skills, you know, and I think especially like when I, when I see someone come and speak, like when they, whether they take the, the time to say hello to the guy who's micing them up or the person who's doing the PowerPoint, like those are not, those are not robots. Those are people. So I think it really does matter. Like noticing yep. people, you may not, you know, I'm able to take an hour and have the whole life story, but just a quick minute, like, Hey, how's your day going? What, how long have you been involved in this? You know, I know Lucas, who's always backstage at, 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 at Bayside. Like, I just feel like those those, those, those little interactions are a chance to either deposit life and kindness or, you know, to, to be like another gig, you know, and we're not, what we're doing is not is in ministry. It's not a gig. It's a, it's an honor. It's a chance to, to serve people. And, and that's, that, 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 that is, I think, um, something that you could easily take for granted, but what, what's that, what that one quote, I always think about it. You can tell the mark of a man by how he treats people who can do nothing for him. And that's I think, good. That those situations, the valet who brings your car, the person, you know, who cleans your hotel room, like if you have a chance to interact with them, do you take a moment to deposit kindness? That's cool. Then the fact that you even know Lucas's name, who's the PowerPoint guy backstage, it's a very cool thing. And he's a very um, cool guy. And he's like a genius. Yeah, he is. He is a genius. He bails me out of a lot of stuff, man. And, um, and so, but the fact that you know that and care about these folks, um, unfortunately it's rare, but I'm glad you got that quality and at least around Bayside, man, everybody notices that. Again. So it's a pretty cool thing. And I think sometimes we can run around acting like big shots instead of servants. So that is very, yeah. well, cool. Jesus was the hardest on his disciples when they kind of got that way, you know, and one of my favorite interactions between, uh, our Lord and, and, and the 12 was when they came back all excited because the demons had listened to him that them. And Jesus said, um, I, I was there when Satan fall from heaven, fell from heaven, like lightning. Don't be impressed that the demons listen to you. Just be happy. Your names are written in heaven. And I think at our best yeah. as no matter how far we go in ministry or leadership or whatever, if we just stay grateful that we get to be uh, a part of this kingdom, that our names are written in heaven, I think that'll keep us small in our own eyes and keep us from turning into King Saul's 
who are running around throwing spears at people. Yep. I hear you. So, Hey, so we've both written a bunch of books. Um, for you is right. Does it just spill out of you or is it hard work? Both. I love words, Ray. When I was a little <clears throat> kid, I would fall asleep at night testing out sentences for whether they were odd or even numbers of syllables. So I would say a sentence and then I would count through how many syllables were in the sentence and I would have to reframe it if it was odd to be even, kind of a verbal OCD. Yep. So I've always loved words, rhymes, the, the like a, a phrase will hit me and I just love, like I, I was reading this book the other day and the guy said, I didn't get enough to eat when I was hungry. I didn't get enough to eat when I was young. So now I've, now that I've grown up, I'm forever hungry. And I just like, Phrases like that hit me forever hungry or, you know, oh, just good. I love the, I love the sound of words. And so I'm always reading something just before we got on the call. I'm, I'm reading the new John Grisham, a time for mercy. It's the sequel to a time to kill his one of his earliest classics. And it's yep. so good. I'm at, I have like two chapters left and I'm like, I'm dying. You, you said jury a minute ago, <laughs> you said jury deliberations. And I'm like, that's exactly where I'm. I want to know what the jury found, you know? So I just love words. So writing came naturally out of that, but it's hard work. It's hard. As you know, well, it is hard work to put words together. No kidding. The, um, yeah. And by the way, nobody does it better than Grisham. So the reason I asked you that is that a friend of mine told me one time, writing a book is like giving birth to barbed wire, (laughs) which may be a little more graphic than I wanted to hear, but he was good with words. Um, you've written three books, I know how hard that is, especially when you're finalizing that sucker because it, it is what it is and you're letting that thing go. Um, your first book was Through the, uh, Through the Eyes of a Lion. Okay. Why do you, I'm going to ask you why you wrote each one because I'm going to assume each one was a major thing coming out of your heart. So yeah. why did you write that one? Through the Eyes of a Lion um, was our response to a very challenging assignment God gave to us. And that is to, okay, so normally children, when their parents die, they get to steward their parents' legacy. Um, We were given the backwards responsibility of stewarding our daughter's legacy because she went to heaven at age five. And so for us, uh, there's not a name for that. You know, if if your parents die, you're an orphan. If your spouse dies, you're a widow or widower. But there's not a name for a parent uh, who has to bury their child because such a thing is perhaps too painful for one word to, to cover, you know? So, um, the book, the eyes of a lion was our attempt at stewarding her legacy, telling her story, but also trying to help other people who uh, are going to face hardship. Almost. So let me, let me dovetail on that for a second, because there are a lot of people listening to this for whom COVID, I have friends that have lost kids. I have friends that have lost loved ones during COVID that couldn't even be in the hospital, be with them and see them. Um, What would you say to somebody that's a person of faith, but this is just really killing them? Well, first of all, I would say I'm so sorry. And I I can't imagine that. That's hard. I, you know, I, I got to be there when you passed away. I got to be holding her, you know, as she breathed her last. And as, as hard as that was, I can't imagine not being with her. And um, so to those who are facing that, I'm, I'm really sorry. All I know is that God trusts us with the trials that he does for a purpose. He's far too efficient to ever waste any pain. And so whatever grief you've carried, God is and is even going to um, 
exceed your expectations of, of what he could do through that. I believe some of that will happen in this life. I also believe some of that will happen in eternity. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is when Moses and Elijah show up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's easy to get lost in the power of what Jesus was trying to communicate to his disciples and, you know, Peter spouting off, built yeah. this hotel. But I, I sometimes wonder about what was Moses' emotional state as he finally was in the promised land? Because he died longing to get there, but never wanted, never got to until that day. And then I realized, man, if you have a dream, it might not come to pass in this life. It might come to pass in heaven. And, and so I just think that's kind of a cool thought. Like whatever you've had taken away from you, God will even in, in eternity o- overwrite some of those things. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> a long perspective. Then you wrote a book with the cheery title, I Declare War. Yeah. <laughs> What's that book about? That book is about self-management, emotional intelligence, which they say amounts uh, to about 36% of your success in any endeavor, any career. It's far more important than IQ as a predictor of um, pay, yep. uh, promotion, et cetera. You, you can lead others. Great. How do you lead yourself? So I declare war was me coming to terms with this revelation. My name is Levi Lesko, and I am bad at times at managing me. I allow my emotions to overcloud things. I allow my selfishness to outweigh things. And I get into funky states where I just am not who I want to be. And this book was my manifesto on uh, let's, let's get uh, out of our own way and let's stop sabotaging our own success and get better at leading ourselves. Boy, that is good. Uh, Man, especially timely now. I mean, the last thing we need to see is another headline. The, um, and so that is good. And you have a brand new resource out, um, which for me is perfect. One of the reasons I, I wanted, was looking forward to this is this. You've just come out with a 40-day resource called Take Back Your Life, which to me, almost everybody right now in COVID is feeling the same thing. They feel victimized. And, and some of it is, I mean, business owners in California can't even operate. Okay? It's like they've been taken over. Um, why'd you come out with that resource and what's in it? Well, I, ironically, I had no idea the pandemic was coming, obviously, uh, as none of us did. Um, but we planned in God's providence to release it in August in the height of all this. And, um, you know, I guess there's never a time where we don't need to learn how to think right, learn how to, uh, stop being victims, like you said, and become victors. But that was what we planned. And, you know, the book is geared at helping someone who maybe is locked up in anxiety or in a cycle of dysfunction or, or toxic behavior, um, or, or paralyzing, you know, uh, uh, I guess we can get so traumatized by, by how, by hard things we face. We stop believing that there can be better days. And I think in this state, it's yep. easy to be that way, to become cynical, to, to sort of disengage, to sort of just go through the motions and raise our hands up and, well, you know, it is what it is. And, well, 2021 will hopefully be better. And, and this book was really about saying, hey, like you get to choose the story you're writing. And this is a devotional for people who maybe would say, uh, I don't read a lot of books. This is 40 days of, of little entries. It's Bible verses. It's a space for reflection. It's uh, a lot of introspection. I think if we can get victory in here, we can get victory out there. And so I wanted to help people uh, sort of, this is a, a, a declaration of dependence on God and a, a chance to say, um, I get to, own, I get to become, okay. So when I rent a rental car, I never clean it. 
I never clean her. I've never once taken a car back to Hertz having run it through the car wash. No one washes a rental car. Well, you're going to treat yourself only as, as much as you take ownership of yourself. So this is a, a way to say, let's take back our lives. Let's start having ownership of our decisions. Let's try. We can't choose the year we're handed. We can't choose the, the, the card, the the hands, the cards were dealt, but we do get to choose how we play them. And you can't be a victor and a victim at the same time. So take back your life is a call to arms. It's a call to, to rise up in, in victory. Oh, that's good. I'm going to have to stop washing rental cars. I never even thought about that. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, Levi, I want to move into some leadership stuff. You're now describing your church, Fresh Life Church, as a digital church with physical locations. Could you unpack that some? Yeah. I mean, I think back in the day, churches had hymns and had pipe organs, and then they went, oh, man, people want more you know, contemporary music. So we're going to still keep that service, but we're also going to add on a, you know, a more contemporary service, but then there's a traditional one. I think in this, in this culture, in this climate, in this moment, we have to sort of almost look at it like the the in-person gathering is a bit like the traditional service, you know, for, for those who are comfortable, for those who are able to get out, maybe you have antibodies or whatever else it is that we have that we offer, we offer that, but where people are interacting, where people's lives are in this, in this moment is online. So we're seeing it as the opportunity, not that we would ever replace the, those, you know, the, the power of a lot of people coming together, but we see that happening. Like right now you and I are in the room, but we're together here. We're able to talk before we started recording, you were giving me advice and that's, that's, that's church. We're together. And in this way, and I think that that's sort of what we're choosing to look at it as this, this, this online is now the new normal. And yes, we also have in-person gatherings at these locations, but we're seeing God sort of do something that we didn't anticipate. And that is, a woman in Philadelphia watches us online, is in a small group, is giving. How is she not a part of this church? Does uh, being there physically, is that the only factor? Because if so, I was never the pastor of online location of our locations where I wasn't at present. You know what I mean? So we're just choosing to, to ride the wave that, that God is, has, um, has put in front of us. Is there, is there anything you guys have learned in the last three or four months about getting better at being online? Well, I mean, we've had, uh, like you, I mean, you guys have done such a great job. I've been watching Bayside's playbook and just seeing how, how, how well you guys have, um, have, have from, the, from the people driving through the campuses, experiencing the VBS stuff you did. I mean, just everything very innovative. So I'm learning a lot constantly, and especially from those who have gone before me who have more wisdom, like, wow, look at what they're doing. And pull it. sometimes I feel like a little bit like a Mr. Potato Head. We've got the lips from this and we've got the ears from there. <laughs> but it's cool to learn from people and not be so smart, proud. Smart. Like, if you can only run an idea that was your idea. That's the height of arrogance. Like I, I love the humility yep. that says if they're doing something better, let's pull that in, you know? Um, but I think, uh, engagement's key engage. It can't just be about the Sunday. It has to be about what's happening throughout the week, pulling, pulling people into small groups, getting people through church, figuring out what are the church membership classes look like? How do you, how do you get people, you know, uh, how do, into into conversation settings where they can actually have accountability and discipleship, spiritual formation, all of those things. We have to find a way to do them when we can't have them in a classroom. Yeah, no kidding. You know what's interesting? We're we're having a hard time, and I, I'm I'm thinking everybody might be figuring out how to increase engagement online of people that have never been here. 
Have you guys thought at all about that and thought through that and are doing anything about it? You mean engagement, not on Sunday morning. You're talking about in, in yeah, groups. Sort of like, yeah, like somebody's watching the service and getting them from beyond watching the service to connecting, responding, any, you know, it's, we actually, we, we call it, the, you know, the, the 167. They're with us for an hour a week. Well, there's 167 other hours. How do we, how do we help them during those hours? Yeah, I well for for us a big piece of that puzzle was um, creating an online assimilation class where there's an easy on demand uh, sequence of events that you can go through to become a part of our impact team. You know, so obviously we had traditionally relied on they come to a lunch, they do it sequentially week by week, uh, but people just don't do things like that. They watch the crown, they binge watch it. You know, it's not it's not a thing where you would do an appointment anymore. So we, yep. when we created an on-demand uh, version where you could go through it all on the same day if you want to and begin serving right away, um, you know, that, that made it a lot easier. And then there's, there's hardly a Sunday that goes by where we're not communicating the power of small groups. And the cool thing now is like, okay, so we have a church in, in Billings and they have a small group that's going through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. But then we got a single mom from, you know, Boise, Idaho. She's also in that group. And it's pretty cool. They're able to share experience and lessons and all sorts of things like that. And yeah, so I mean, felt needs, I think felt needs are incredibly important. Every, every time we ramp up our small groups, we're always doing something around freedom, something around marriage, something around budgeting. And then really, uh, for us, the hardest thing has been students. You know, that, is, that has been the hardest thing, that piece to figure Because we have the curriculum for kids that's kind of engaging and fun. And obviously, we have stuff for adults and they understand Zoom better. But these kids are on Zoom all day long for school. The last thing a lot of them want to do is, you know, hop on another thing. So that's been really challenging. Yep. Yeah, that is good. What, what Now, with this whole change, what shifts have you made in staffing okay, or structure in the last few months? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, when it in early March, I mean, everybody became a part of our TV studio that we didn't know we had, right? It's like, that's, that's the, that's where I didn't realize we were running a, a major media operation. It all became about them I in mean, social media and, and broadcasting and we need more hosts and MCs for this and that. And so I think uh, most of our staffing changes have happened around, um, around uh, the, the media and the central this, our central organization. But the other thing that's been interesting is being able to um, utilize spare bandwidth from our pastors and our, our, our local church staffs that um, in ways that benefit the whole organization. So for example, we found out our whitefish campus pastor has a real knack for writing. And so we've been able to utilize him writing some scripts for some movies, writing some scripts for um, some, some copy for, for pieces we send out. And uh, it's been incredible to see that happen. So like, so a lot of these guys have some of the, have had time on their hands because their normal uh, responsibilities aren't taking the same amount of time bandwidth wise. So we've been able to say, Hey, like that, don't feel bad about that, but what, what skills you have that you can offer here and just seeing our church staff become a little bit more like Wikipedia where everyone's kind of a little piece here, a little contributing there. It's been really cool. Yep. Our churches both have a, a heart for community connection, engagement, unleashing compassion, that kind of stuff. What shifts have you guys made in that area during COVID? Well, we've Are you doing up, stuff I've, we didn't do before. 
Well, I would say, first of all, you guys lead the way in that, you know, what you guys do every year with your compassion first, as you do your, your, your expansion offerings and, and those sorts of things are some of the, honestly, Ray, I've been around, you guys set the, set the bar very high with all of that. And we've, we've taken a lot of cues from your lead in that way of, because that really mobilizes people. People are excited about building uh, wells in Africa and playgrounds, in, you know, impoverished parts of the the cities you you minister in. And for us, a major initiative has that we're rallying around is uh, is the we have a very close to where I'm standing right now, an Indian reservation. And uh, the the rates the the COVID stuff's bad there, but life is bleak there all year round. And so we've been really getting uh, stirred as a church community behind feeding and transportation and sanitation and that, that sort of stuff. We're really doing a significant work in the <coughs> American community. And I think that, that, that gives people a cause. There's a protection and purpose. And in a time when it's easy to sit around and feel bad for yourselves, when you realize, Hey, we, we have a job to do here. I think it causes uh, you to snap out of some of the, the fog a little bit. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Yeah, it's funny. One of the things that's helped us is, and first of all, thanks for saying that, that we do care about that a lot. Um, one, of the, <clears throat> one of the good signs that happened to me recently was every year for the last several years, we've had three Christmas causes. And we go into our Christmas Eve services in whatever form they are this year. <clears throat> and we raise money for three causes every year. And, um, and for example, one of the causes this year is this. We found out that at least in California, uh, the divorce rate in law enforcement is 80%. Jeez. That's insane. We have a woman at Bayside whose husband was very high up in the CHP who wrote a book um, for law enforcement couples. And wow. so one of the three causes this year is raising money for to give everybody in law enforcement that we can find one, a copy of that book and also to sponsor a marriage conference at a nice hotel in Napa and, and fund law enforcement couples to go there for free. And um, but for me, the good, yeah, it's pretty cool. But for me, the good sign was a couple of weeks ago, um, actually about four weeks ago, somebody, somebody from saw me in a store and said, Hey Ray, what are the causes this year? And I went good. They're finally getting, so it took a long time to turn our church around to be in a, I mean, it's, it's the old thing, but you could shut the doors of almost every American church. The community would never know they're gone. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I don't, that certainly isn't true with your place. And you know what? I'll tell you what, that, that, that is where the American church needs to be. You know, some of this is good for us that we've been, we've been shaken out of our luxury and our apathy and, you know, um, everything going so right. You know, I, I think there, there can be a sense, I'm going to preach this Sunday from the book of Acts about how persecution caused the church to scatter, you know, and they had kind of even in, in, indirectly the moment Jesus ascended to heaven, done the thing that he told them not to do stay there. You know, they were on the mountain and uh, the angel had to come and be like, Hey guys, don't you have a, don't you have a job to do? You're standing there staring up into heaven and the church at its worst can become a little bit like a yacht club, but we're meant to be like a battleship. Yeah. You know, we're meant to be yeah. out there deployed. And, and you know, I, I've been in a lot of fire engines. I've been in some ambulances. None of them have lazy boys. None of them have massage chairs. They're not meant for comfort. The church is not meant to be about what I get out of it and my social life and the club and blah, blah, blah. 
we're, we're meant to be like William Booth always said, running a rescue mission within a yard of hell. And I think what you're describing that you, your parishioners would say to you, like, what's the cause this year and not, Hey, I hope the Christmas sermon's good. Cause aunt Gertrude's going to be watching. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that's, that's where we should be. <laughs> yeah. The, um, if, uh, for those of you who are watching a great book to pick up, would be a book by Rodney Stark. He's a sociologist at Notre Dame. And he wrote a book called the rise of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And he, his whole theme was Christians against all odds took over the Roman empire um, because there was a pandemic I'm gonna and all down. the government, the government, uh, the government after it done, after it was done shutting down all the businesses, the government officials all fled. The rich people all fled. Christians stayed. They cared about the poor. They took care of the poor. And after the pandemic, uh, Emperor Julian tried to restart paganism, couldn't get it going because the Christians were so low. And I think if we were, if the church were ever known as the lead compassion centers in every community, it would be, it would be a brand new day for Christianity. It's the one, well, among other things, it may be the single most important thing we're not getting right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, powerful. So, I wrote that book down. I'm going to read that. That's a great recommendation. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really smart, detailed book from a very bright guy at Notre Dame. Um, hey, I want to shift into preaching. First of all, what are you preaching on in December? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I know Christmas Eve, I'm going to do uh, Chris, Christmas from the perspective of Revelation, that crazy story about <clears throat> a woman having a baby and there's a dragon crouched waiting to eat the baby. It's kind of like, I know it's pretty dark. Shocker, I'm going with an abstract dark theme. Uh, but um, it's kind of cool. It's almost like what you didn't see at Bethlehem. Like it's like x-ray glasses at Bethlehem. There was a dragon waiting. Obviously, Herod was going to try and kill the baby and all that. But it's like almost like we, we take for granted the unseen spiritual battle that was raging in the heavens as this all happened. Yep. Oh, that's good. And then do you know what you're doing in January yet? Yeah. So um, in January, we always do the 21 days of prayer and fasting to kind of kick off the year, which I'm looking forward to that so much. Take social media off the phone for a couple of weeks. I don't buy anything. So that's my biggest hard challenge for 21 days. I don't purchase anything online. So nothing on Amazon, nothing on my UPS guy goes into withdrawal, you know, all that. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm going to be preaching, uh, through the fast, uh, something about waiting. That's kind of the word God kind of gave me, a sen- uh, something about waiting and how powerful waiting is. I want, actually, I want to have a conversation about something that's really important. There's a principle in sports talk radio called overreaction Monday. And what happens is this, um, anytime a team wins, they overreact, they're going to the Super Bowl. If a team loses, um, they overreact and it's time to fire everybody. And they actually call it overreaction Monday. Um, When COVID hit, and I've been reading a lot of predictions about the future of the church, and it seems like for some reason, a lot of people that are trying to think about the future of the church are in overreaction Monday. And I mean, it is everything from nothing's going to change, will be business usual, to on the other extreme, every single thing's going to change and give up ever even trying to restart your church. And uh, I can, I want to tell you my current thinking on this. And my current thinking on this is like most things, the truth is somewhere in the middle. 
And which means at some point, Disneyland is going to be open and packed with people. That will happen at some point in the future. The same thing would be true with churches at Bayside. We are not using the word reopening. We are using the word rebuilding because it's almost like we got to rebuild, relaunch the entire church. Um, and and there is a there's an organization that has come out with something to help on the other side of that because prior to COVID, almost all American churches were good at one thing, but not the other. They were good at attendance, but they were not good at engagement. And they measured success only by the number of people in the seats instead of the number of people engaged, connecting, serving, being followed up, all of that kind of stuff. And, um, and so here's what I want to do. Occasionally, I run into something that is so good, it makes ministry better. And we actually use this at Bayside. So I want to recommend a resource that's going to help with this. And it's called Serve HQ. Okay. And the entire goal of these folks is to help churches get better, not at just attendance, but an actual engagement with people, really equipping and engaging the entire church, okay? They have three resources, and we use all three of these at Bayside, and the resources are this. They have a resource called Huddle Up, Trained Up, and Follow Up. This is brilliant. Huddle Up is their resource, which you can do mass email, mass texting. They've got safe group chat for everybody in your ministry. And so they've got a whole thing. Basically, that is designed just to engage people. Okay. They have a second resource called Trained Up. And that resource offers online classes for new members, new volunteers, and developing leaders. We are actually getting, we are starting a conversation about this. I interviewed Levi Luskell, and you'll see that in a couple of weeks. And they are doing something massively successful in their church. They are offering an online membership class for people to connect to and join their church who've never been to the physical plant. A brilliant idea. Okay. The trained up section will help you offer classes like that for people that maybe have never even met you or people that have been attending, but have never engaged. And the third one is this as follow-up, which is automating next steps for new volunteers, new guests, and new members. And folks, during this crazy season, ServeHQ is a great organization, and I actually think it's helping us at Bayside get better at engaging. Or another way to put this is this. There are most churches that are going to have a great future are going to have to get better at the 167. That's a magic number. There are 168 hours in the week. The American church spends insane amount of resources on one hour getting people in a worship service, okay? Imagine what could happen to our people, our impact on them, the gospel, and equipping and engaging them if we access the 167. Serve HQ is a great resource for helping you make that happen. Uh, we actually put a link to this on our base on our Bayside Thrive website, so you can go there and check that out. Um, it's just occasionally I run into something where I go, this may help people get better at the stuff that most of us need to get better at. We just need a little help on that road, so that'll be good. 